Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Bioptimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. Today's guest is Dr. Tyler Pansner. He is an dope, really down-to-earth, cool, amazing human being. But on the flip side, he is also a PhD scientist trained in pharmacology, cancer, neuroscience, inflammation. I mean, he's really dug into the research when it comes to how the human body interacts with itself and also how different drugs, molecules, vitamins, supplements, how they react. And what he likes to do is he likes to take your genetic blueprint that you might get from 23andMe or Ancestry and upload that to a platform called Self-Decode. Now, Self-Decode uses artificial intelligence to look through all your genetic SNPs and cross-reference everything in a matter of minutes, or I don't know if it takes a day. I mean, you get it back relatively fast in comparison to if just one person was looking through all these SNPs, I would imagine it would take them weeks, maybe months to kind of look through everything you can get back from Self-Decode really, really fast. 
So that's why he chooses to use self-decode. And then he takes his knowledge from his PhD background to take it a step further and really hyper-personalize a program specifically based for you and your genetics. And he might also tell you things not to take, things that you may not break down really well and that could really make you feel shitty, things like lion's mane. So we really get into that quite a bit because I do really well on lion's mane. Everyone, it seems like it's in every coffee drink and everywhere you go that's health conscious, you see lion's mane there. Well, there's a whole forum of people on Reddit who have really been messed up by lion's mane because specifically their genetics and their body There was something that they couldn't break down and they're having a lot of anxiety and depression and also some long lasting effects from taking lion's mane. So maybe not everything is for everybody and maybe Tyler's really onto something by hyper focusing on your genetics and then giving you a supplement regimen based off of those genetics that he finds on self-decode and that he uses from his PhD background and understands how molecules work within the body. So we really get into different molecules such as psychedelics, MDMA, we talk about ketamine a little bit. So it's kind of all over the place, real conversational, like my podcast usually is. But then we do talk about his business towards the end and how he works specifically with genetics. So sit back and enjoy the show. Dr. Tyler is an amazing human being. Dr. Tyler Panzer, welcome to the show, brother. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. I I think that you do bring a lot of nuance and a lot of interesting discussion around even things as simple as just like normal supplements that uh, most people may be taking from their practitioner. And I know that I, you don't know this about me, but I, uh, I'm kind of just like a person who got into health off of just pure necessity. I was living in a moldy place. I had heavy metals. I had Lyme disease. And so I'm no doctor. I'm no anything. I've just literally dug through the weeds trying to understand the human body the best that I could so that I could just basically heal myself. And now I'm kind of bringing that information out and seeking more information. And the podcast helps bring depth. And I think I for sure was a person who just listened to a lot of these podcasts and, you know, oh, NAD is good and I'll take NAD and this and that. And then, you know, you start to come around full circle after you've been in the space for quite a bit. And you realize that there is a lot more going on than just everybody should take high dose magnesium or everybody should take, you know, THC is good or CBD, you know, whatever it is, whatever molecule. And I think that you bring a lot of nuance into how different people react differently to everything. So before we get into a lot of that stuff, I want to ask you a little bit about your background and you have a very unique kind of education, uh, the PhD in molecular and cellular pharmacology. So what does that look like in, uh, as far as like study and, you know, the PhD uh, program? And then how do you apply that to your practice that you have now? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the PhD in pharmacology always gets confused with pharmacy. So like pharmacy <laughs> is more so taking current information and applying that. So like, you know, you could be doing clinical rotations or something, figuring out the proper dosages for a patient or working at somewhere like CVS The PhD pharmacology training, like I was the guy in the lab coat, you know, genetically engineering cells, you know, given genetically modifying mice so they could have cancer and then dissecting those tumors. So really like a foot soldier on the ground, really in the nitty gritty of the science, like being an actual lab bench uh, researcher. So the first half of my PhD, I did rotation studying all the different cell types in the brain. Um, mood, behavior, consciousness, neuropharmacology overall. So how drugs, substances, vitamins affect the brain is was my first real interest and still to this day is one of my top interests just because 
the end of the day, all of our realities, we perceive different realities through the lens in which is our brain chemistry. Like two people could be in the exact same scenario and based on what their current brain chemistry is at, which of course is a combination of genetics, uh, possible past trauma, epigenetics, all these other things, um, your reality just merely your perception of it through that brain chemistry. So um, I was really fascinated with, you know, making all my own pre-workout powders, selling them out a little baggage to my friends. You know, they got you really <laughs> stimmed up back in the day when I was chasing the high stim stuff um, and custom nootropic blends and stuff and really just figuring out how I could optimize how I feel. And to me, that started out in the brain, so altering that brain chemistry. Um, and then the second half of my PhD, my thesis work was studying breast cancer, breast cancer metastasis, inflammation. And I was, like I said, literally dissecting mice, doing all those things and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I loved designing experiments, doing experiments. I'm a highly creative person. So I really love just brainstorming and coming up to these hypotheses and testing them. And that's what the PhD really trained me to do is to think super critically. So I'm an expert in the philosophy of how drugs and substances affect the human body. So it's more so the philosophy of how you think about these things. How do you innovate? So PhD, in order to graduate, I needed to publish papers and prove something that no one else on earth has ever proven before. So it's kind of different from pharmacy school or med school because that's, you know, they're absolutely difficult and, you know, noble routes. But um, it's more so learn this, get tested on this, learn that, get tested on that. So it's more just a different way of thinking because scientists are the ones that are really driving innovation, finding out new things. And then you have, you know, medical doctors that are taking those rules that scientists usually initially figure out and kind of applying them day to day. You know, you can't be seen, uh, patients all the t all day and trying all these, you know, random new things that haven't been properly clinically verified for the traditional medical system. Um, and it wasn't until probably two thirds of the way through my PhD that 23andMe started becoming a thing. And I had really bad anxiety, brain fog issues. And I'm like, sure, I'll get it done. I'll get it checked. And the reports didn't really tell me much. It's like, do you think cilantro tastes like soap? Um, are you more likely to be sensitive to loud noises, which, you know, that's cool, but not really what I was looking for. So I took that data and kind of back end researched it myself. And I figured out, oh, wow, I break down adrenaline three times slower than a normal, no, sorry, four times slower than a normal person. So that explains a lot why I seem to always be overthinking, you know, I'm always triggered the easiest out of people, um, lower stress threshold responses. And figured out ways to naturally support that mutation through targeted, like hyper-precise uh, natural vitamin supplementation. And I was able to dramatically change my overall stress response, um, help improve my brain function. Turns out a lot of my brain fog was related to histamine. So supporting that, found out I was allergic to foods that I ate every day. So peas and almonds were giving me severe brain <laughs> fog. And actually mice... Turns out that I'm allergic to mice, the things I worked with every day. No wonder I had brain fog every day at lab. And just to think that um, talking to my family's doctor friend um, when I was first going through this, you know, it was floated by me. Oh, why don't you try Adderall? And it's just looking back now, it's so crazy to me that Adderall is just thrown around like that. The world's most powerful prescription psychostimulant to cut through the brain fog. The issue isn't a lack of dopamine. I have very high dopamine, very high adrenaline. 
yet that histamine um, and then some other methylation issues were leading to that brain fog. So um, I decided that I want to go all in on this personalized medicine route. Um, got a job as a clinical analyst at a genetics company. So that's more so if you have cancer, we'll sequence the cancer cell and figure out what type of treatment to get. But even that to me doesn't make much sense. Why are we, why are we doing all this effort at sequencing cancer cells once they're already cancerous? Why don't we sequence our healthy cells, figure out which pathways that lead to cancer are the most mutated, and address those naturally? And I firmly believe that addressing numerous different mutated pathways naturally, holistically, not only dramatically enhances your quality of life today, but reduces your chance of chronic diseases down the road. So many people aren't sick enough for the hospital, but they're not thriving. You know, they everyone everyone bitches about brain fog. We make memes nowadays, you know, the, the younger generations about how you just wake up tired all the time and people like joke about it, but it's like, it's sad that it's that normalized. So many people have this anxiety, depression, brain fog, just overall inflammation in the body. And I think a lot of people try to do a lot of the right things. So it's not even just processed garbage foods or healthy foods. You can eat foods that are very healthy that you can't process a certain chemical, naturally occurring chemical in that food. Um, like tomatoes give me really bad brain fog. Apple cider vinegar gives me very bad brain fog because I can't break down histamine as well. How many people, I work with so many clients that have brain fog and they start off their mornings with apple cider vinegar and coffee, two things very high in histamine. So it's like, wow, that could have been a, uh, you know, easy fix right there. You don't need that stimulant you're on. You just need to get rid of the stuff bogging down your brain. Yeah, that's, I mean, absolutely critical. And I've done through all through different diets. And when I was really, really sick, I actually was like pure carnivore because I just didn't know. It seemed like I was reacting to everything when I lived in the mold and I had the lime going on. And it was like, unless it was like meat or honey, I just felt like as soon, like I would feel better. I would do these extremely like 18 hour fast because literally I just felt better if I didn't eat anything. So I was like, I'd rather just like have the morning to myself and feel, I didn't feel great, but I didn't have any of the histamine reactions. And this was before I like knew what histamines were, but I just intuitively realized that if I just didn't eat at all and maybe had some black coffee, like, and really the black coffee was just like a cover up for the low energy yeah. and everything. And I love coffee. It just, at in the time, it was just like, oh, you can have black coffee on a fast. And so I just was doing that. But if I started to eat other things, even if it was like paleo foods or, you know, it just could, could trigger that histamine and I'd have such severe brain fog and fatigue. And then I just want to take a nap every day. So it's pretty insane. And so is, is that kind of like you looking into your uh, food allergies and your brain fog, how you shifted into like natural style medicine or were you already kind of interested in that? Yeah. So I was always interested in the natural side of things, natural supplements and all of that. But as I learned more and more about the molecular drivers of disease, like what pathways drive what types of diseases and what type of drugs do we use nation worldwide to treat these, it just makes absolutely no sense to me. They pick one drug, one pathway, and they just completely bombard it. Like the Adderall is a good example. You can't focus. Let's just jack up your dopamine and adrenaline. Oh, you're depressed. Let's just jack up your serotonin. Well, if you give someone a drug that raises serotonin and serotonin is not an issue for them, they don't even check the serotonin levels. They don't check any of this. They just assume that if you're depressed, it's low serotonin. So figuring out, I like to call it a flavor of disease. Which flavor of a disease do you have? You could have 10 people with different causes of their anxiety or their depression. Now, in reality, we're all a blend of these. I like to think of it like a, 
like a pie chart. You know, what percent drivers are is your disease? Some people are mo more so histamine. Some might be more vitamin D. Some might be more methylation. Um, so figuring out what unique flavor you are and again, figuring out exactly what nutrients your cells need more of and give them those exact nutrients and which type of nutrients chemicals are they sensitive to and try to limit those. And that's kind of my overall philosophical approach to my practice. And, um, I've been doing it for coming up on a year now and it's just been astounding. You know, I knew it worked, but so many people coming to me that have been failed by so many conventional and holistic practitioners because no one's looking at the genes in this way. It's removing a lot of the guesswork. And like you mentioned before, so many people are on the wrong supplements for their genes. They'll be put on a certain supplement for histamine or, you know, gut inflammation. Well, that also raises adrenaline in the brain. So if you're someone that's sensitive to adrenaline like me, you'll be very, very anxious, not sleeping well. And if you feel stressed all day and you don't sleep good, is that lowered histamine from that supplement really worth it? You know, we all know sleep is the most important thing our body can do. Yeah, 100%. I really um, think that the other portion of this is like everyone wants to tout like epigenetics. And I think that it's, they're probably very, very important. And they probably could even be more important. But what I think I haven't heard anyone describe it like this, but this is kind of like what I've put together is I don't think in the year 2023, you can eat a paleo diet or a keto diet or whatever it works for you and just automatically change your genetics. That's It's so much deeper nowadays. You got to be looking at mold. You got to be looking at metals. You got to be looking at stealth infections. And everyone's got a good combination of these, in my opinion. So it's not like maybe in 1950, if you just shifted your diet, all of your epigenetics would turn off all of your bad genes. But nowadays, we have to look so much more deeper. And I think that just switching your diet isn't going to detox mercury out of your brain if you had a bunch of fillings or if your mom passed that on to you. And so I think the toxins and the stuff, the chemicals, the plastics, everything that's building up is the reason why that the epigenetics isn't really the full portion. And what I think is happening, this is just my kind of thesis on it all, is that we could use these genetics to see how we can personalize stuff because the epigenetics portion is actually harder today than it used to be. So like as we're trying to detox these metals, as we're, you know, trying to get rid of mold or try to target the lime, if we knew what our genetics were and personalized it in the moment, we can shut down some of that inflammation, get rid of some of the things that we're reacting to, and then maybe work on a deeper level for epigenetics as far as like mineral balancing that I've been doing and looking at the heavy metals, because those things take years. The genetics you can figure out in one day, and then we can customize a plan for you very, very quickly. And so that you can get rid of a lot of the symptoms that you're having in the moment and then maybe you can work on epigenetics but everyone wants to just say diet and lifestyle is everything but you can't just switch your diet and change all of your epigenetics in my opinion no i couldn't agree more and epigenetics are hugely important but at the end of the day i think people really and of course too the difference with the genetic side is you know you need a rigorous full-blown conventional medicine education to fully grasp these things and i think a lot of people don't understand yeah if you have one mutation in the gene that makes serotonin you can epigenetically get sunlight go for walks and stuff and boost your serotonin and feel pretty good but if you have six mutations on that gene 
I don't care how much breath work you do, how much sunlight you get, you will never be making enough serotonin. And targeted supplementation is going to be the only route for you. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, nothing to be ashamed of. We're all very different and unique, but people don't understand that mutations can, you could have multiple mutations on the same gene and then multiple mutations in the same pathway. So you can have a mutation in how you make serotonin, which also affects how you make melatonin. You could also have mutations in how much melatonin you release at night. You could also have mutations in how sensitive your cells are to that melatonin. So imagine if you're synthesizing less melatonin, releasing less at nighttime, and that little bit of a little bit amount, you're also less sensitive to that. So these individuals, they come to me, I tell them to try some liquid melatonin. They're like, oh, I, I heard that's bad for you. And it's just it's the tribalism, you know, and it's people um, saying that, oh, melatonin is bad because they're promoting some melatonin free product. They don't understand how this works molecularly. And so, yeah, absolutely agree with what you're saying. Some individuals can get further with just making the lifestyle and diet changes, but the vast majority of people I work with are already doing all the right things. Why are they not getting better? Why can no one else help them? Because it's more so a genetic issue than another individual may be. And even the environmental factors, heavy metals, mold, any environmental factor, it's your sensitivity is dictated by genes. All the proteins in your body that fight off mold, that detoxify heavy metals, the amino acids used to make heavy metal detoxification proteins in your body, all these genes can be mutated. So people act like environment is a non-genetic factor your sensitivity to all these environmental factors are dictated by your genetics. There's a reason why mutations in glutathione pathways are linked to increased cancer, increased mold risk, because it affects your sensitivity to all of these things. So I totally agree. We have so many people focused on, oh, I need the zeolite clay binder. I got to do this binder, that binder. Well, is your regular heavy metal detoxification protein actually working properly? Are the people that get heavy metal poisoning, heavy metal issues, are they really consuming that much more heavy metals than everybody else? I personally don't think so. I think their cells are inherently less able to clear the heavy metals. So I don't think it's, are we consuming too much heavy metals? Of course. You know, that's the whole side of the industrial revolution. The reason why we're sicker now is ultimately because of the changes in environment. However, what are we going to do? We have pesticides in the air we breathe and the water we drink. You could try to, you know, avoid all that or you could figure out what your genetic weak points are in your cells and address those appropriately. I could figure out if someone has higher risk for cadmium toxicity versus mercury toxicity versus arsenic toxicity. If you're genetically sensitive to mercury and you eat a lot of seafood, you definitely should get an HTMA done ASAP to try to figure out if that's actually high or not. So... Yeah, I mean, all this environment, our genes did not evolve to deal with this world we live in today. They evolved to deal, we haven't really evolved much at all over the past couple hundred thousand years, like genetically. Um, so the increased toxins are causing this, but again, there's only so much you could do. You are going to come in contact with a mold spore again. You are going to come across a heavy metal again. There's no avoiding it. But the people that get mold and then heavy metals, they detox, mold again, detox, mold again. Then they come to work with me and it's like, oh, wow, we see clear mutations in the pathways involved with detoxification. And it's way more than just, oh, take a, take a binder or something, take a liver support supplement. What molecules does your body need more of to properly detoxify? We give them that 
and then <clears throat> they don't get mold anymore. Sure, they may have to do one more full mold detox, but now their cells are resilient to the external world. Yeah, that makes total sense. And building up the resiliency is where it's at yeah. and really the, the goal of everything because you can't live life in a bubble and be scared of everything. And, you know, I've noticed that as I've gotten a lot of, the you know, got rid of the lime and started to detox some of these metals and doing the mineral balancing. Like I'm so much more resilient to food, stress, yeah. like I can handle a few drinks when I'm out at dinner type of thing. Like I used to have like one, two drinks and felt like I was wiped out for days. And I was like, the alcohol didn't change. Like clearly my body's not processing something correctly anymore. You know, I had one piece of bread and two cocktails out of dinner and I'm like hung over for three days. And that's just how sick I was in that, in that time period. And I think that you're spot on because, um, Dr. Joel Rosin, who I had do the in-depth genetics testing on me and match it over with my blood work at the time. He basically told me like your genetics are like some of the hardest to get healthy in in, in my in my uh, thing. And I believe what I have a hemochromatosis gene for sure. So now I get a full iron panel every so often and donate blood if I need to. And then um, also I think my detoxification kind of methylation is a little mm-hmm. bit wonky Super too. Common so, too. The methylation so it was stuff like, is so common. Yeah. So that was, but that was mine. And then, you know, I had a bunch of mercury fillings growing up. I think my mom even had some mercury fillings, you know, cause I had a lot of health issues when I was younger. So I was kind of set up for failure and then a bad batch of poor genetics and then living in some mold. And I was just kind of a wreck. Yeah. You know, and everyone loves saying genetics load the gun environment pulls the trigger, which is true, but I like to add my own little spin on that. Some people are born with their triggers 90% pulled. That was me, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, the correlation that I see, the people that come to work with me, similar to you, whether it's mixture of heavy metals, mold, EBV, um, you know, candida, H. pylori, gut dysbiosis, they're usually the ones that I can see. I'm at the point now where I almost don't need that much of a questionnaire. (laughs) I could look and just see, okay, this person's definitely very anxious. This person definitely has a low mood because the genes really do dictate that much. And, you know, I'll never be that guy saying that you know genetics are the only thing this is just the one piece of the pie for total health that i think is by far the least utilized i mean think about how many mold practitioners or gut practitioners there are versus holistic genetic practitioners you know there's basically relatively none compared to that and like you mentioned earlier obviously i'm biased here but i think starting out with the genes makes the most sense because you will have you are guaranteed to get results you're guaranteed to get information all the genes I work with people, every a lot of people that I work with, they're like, oh, am I like more fucked up than everyone else? I'm like, no, these are all, we're talking 40, 50, 60% of the population has these mutations. We're not talking about the one in a million. That's like the old job that I had, you know, the one in a million, like won't even survive birth, that type of stuff. We're not talking about that. We're talking about very, very common mutations. And a lot of these symptoms are very common for people. A lot of these ailments. Um, so... Yeah. And then I also think that, you know, I'm also deeply spiritual. I think spiritual health is incredibly important as well. You know, community, um, addressing repressed traumas. Like I'm super into all that as well. It's just right now I'm focusing on what no one else is really focusing on, which is literally, I don't like to advertise it this way, but I can give people a small handful of stuff to take, you know, with breakfast and in the evenings and within days, they get more improvements than they than they gotten working with countless other professionals, spending eighty thousand dollars on functional labs, and they're chasing the boogeyman. They don't even know what they're looking for. They're hoping to find something. But that's why I love the genetics. You will always get information 
I've yet to work with a client that doesn't feel somewhat better. Now, I'm never going to say totally fixes everyone always. You know, I'm not going to be that guy. But the percentage improvements you get depends on how much of your issues are genetic. Because like I said, I can improve your methylation status. But if you're living in a house riddled with mold, that's going to hold back how much you can actually improve. Yeah, that makes total sense. And that just goes back to like that genetics piece. And then like where we like if you do get them feeling a little bit better in less than a week or in a couple weeks, then maybe they can clear a little brain fog and then dig yeah. a little bit deeper. Like, OK, now I need to get this heavy metal test. But when you're sick like I was, it's hard to like even just go to a get labs like you're so tired. You're just like running in circles trying to make it through the day. And I'm sure you probably see that quite a bit in today's world. I'm, I mean, I talk to people all the time living here in Florida. I'm like, dude, does your house have mold? Like literally like just, if you're living in that mold, you're just going to be chasing symptom after symptom. And I do like that you touched on the spiritual piece and the emotional piece because I'm big into that. You know, my wife's a yoga instructor. We throw retreats together. I'm a combo practitioner. So I'm, I work a lot with energetics and she's a Reiki practitioner and all Mm -hmm. of that. And I also have this theory that like if the neurochemistry is off, especially from mineral imbalances or maybe some of these whatever genetic taking the wrong supplements or wrong drugs, that it's actually hard to even retrace and reprocess those emotional traumas. Anyways, you kind of yeah. get stuck in a loop. But if you're thinking too. clearly and you're healthy, you can kind of look at those traumas in a much deeper way, like in a better way, healthy way, like almost like a third person view where you get a better idea of how like, yeah, this happened to me. This is how I should process it and then get through it. But a lot of people jump straight into the emotional work without looking at the biology. And I think they have a tougher time. It's like they're always looking for another breakthrough or another, you know, energy person to heal them, but they're not looking at just the basic biology of themselves. No, I totally agree. And like, I think you don't have to do a full deep dive, everything that I incorporate, but I think whether it's talk therapy, whether it's neo-emotion release therapy, whether it's energetic healing, Reiki, um, or even if you're going to, you have Alzheimer's and you got to go get a prescription medication. I think my workflow should be applied across the board. Imagine if I can make someone feel 20% better pretty much instantly before they start going to therapy, you know, and another whole other, another aspect of this, I'm sure you're familiar with is the whole neuroplasticity side of things. Can your brain even be neuroplastic and be malleable and grow and change its circuitry you know real deep inner work healing is your brain rewiring itself it's developing these new thought pathways that's why things like psychedelics can be powerful because they let you approach things from a different vantage point but aside from just that you don't need to have that psychoactive effect stress lowers brain derived neurotrophic factor in the brain that's what lets your brain grow and adapt in response to change create new ideas become a new person become your best self and a lot of people like you said they go right into this emotional healing and stuff is your brain even ready to change does it have the signaling requirements in order to change i have a mutation in that bdnf gene so i have lower plasticity by baseline one of the main drivers of my anxiety aside from the adrenaline stuff i mentioned not only did i have high adrenaline all the time my brain was not able to really adapt to things. So I wasn't able to be as mindful. But as I started taking things to help boost neuroplasticity, I love magnesium, CBD. You know, I use psychedelics as well, but you know, you don't use those every day. You know what I mean? So it's like using the other agents to help boost that neuroplasticity really helped a lot. Not only my anxiety, but my ability to be mindful, you know, be the observer of emotions and things because 
you become more aware of these. But a lot of people between the inflammation, the stress, their brains are hardwired and locked in that state, especially if traumas are involved because the traumas dysregulate genes involved with adrenaline, involved with the neuroplasticity. So you could have low neuroplasticity baseline, then get traumatized because you will be at a higher risk for trauma with lower neuroplasticity. Then it'll lower it even more. And that's when people get stuck. You know, they get stuck in that mindset the rest of their lives because their brain can't be malleable and think in new ways. Yeah, that's interesting because I've actually had this thought process around like me coming out already maybe with some uh the trigger kind of loaded on my genetic side then like my father wasn't around he was off like doing drugs or whatever he was you know being a crackhead or something i grew up in flint michigan it was a rough area my mom was a single mom she was at work a lot wasn't home at night she was like bartending and i just wonder like if that you know that's just like you were saying that trauma shut down them genes even further like i have bad detoxification genes then you layer on the trauma shuts them down even further and then they give me seventeen thousand rounds of antibiotics because they don't know what's going on and then i'm just wrecked yeah no that sounds spot on and you know it's the whole psychological trauma side of stuff i've been getting a lot more interested in because i think it's i think it's equally important as this other you know just supplemental stuff um and you know it doesn't always have to be people think of trauma as you know you know, physical abuse or sexual, it's not always one huge thing that causes that. It could just be the lack of certain things, you know, like your mom doing the best she can because she has to support for you. But at the end of the day, not having her around as much, you know, that over time, that very slow burn, you know, it doesn't have to be one heinous, malicious thing done, but those little things over time add up. And that's why I firmly believe everyone has some form of trauma. Even if your parents, you've seemed so perfect, that in of itself can be trauma and can be causing effects down the road. We all have egos, just depends how big it is. We all have trauma, it just depends how severe they are, but they all dictate how we view the world the rest of our lives, especially if you're not prioritizing your mental health and getting that neuroplasticity up, you're going to be locked into that. Like a lot of generational trauma things they can even be behavioral. So you saw how your parents treated you. So you, that's how it is. Then you treat your kids that way. And, you know, it's up to someone to have some balls and really do some inner work and break that cycle. Yeah, and that, that's exactly where I was at. And I, I had found myself, you know, once I got sober, I used to be addicted to a bunch of shit and party all the time, like seven days a week, like I was crazy. And um I found myself, you know, doing lots of meditation and yoga. Then I got into like the psychedelics and was doing both mushroom of those, ceremonies. Both of those raise up BDNF, by the way. Meditation, yeah, those are, yoga, cold Those plunge, are my favorite. Pretty much all of the biohacks that people do, they all raise BDNF. So that's why that to me, that's one of the most important molecules to do that. I mean, meditation is basically mentally changing your gene expression. You know, monks literally have higher neuroplasticity because they can turn on that BDNF by being mindful. Yeah, no, and, and they, they worked well, but I, I still found myself, like, even after the psychedelic ceremonies, I'd have these big breakthroughs about my childhood and everything, but I was so, like, neurologically inflamed from yeah. the metals and everything that else that was going on, I still was depressed, I still was in these loops, had racing thoughts, had anxiety, so I was like, I have to look deeper, like, yeah. yes, some people come out of a mushroom or ayahuasca ceremony and their life's changed forever, I'm not that person, I had deeper things going mm-hmm. on and I had a lot more issues to take care of, so I had to keep digging 
So that's how kind of how I reflect on like, I think a lot of people might have maybe not as severe as I had, but some form of like neuroinflammation or something else going on, nutritional deficiencies or just, you know, doing, you know, poor diet, whatever it is that's causing them to be stuck in a loop. And then they think that they can just run to ayahuasca or mushrooms every so often. And it's like, you have to really dig deeper in the biology. Your baseline needs to be better. You know, you need yeah. your baseline. You you need to be, you need to be feeling decent every day. You know what I mean? Like you need to be feeling decent waking out of bed. You know, you don't got to be 10 out of 10, you know, wellness guru all the time, but you know, yeah, exactly. You can't be waking up shot, dragging ass through the day and expect some fungus to rapidly change <laughs> everything. You know, some people that works great. You know what I mean? But I absolutely agree with what you're saying because again, that methylation process is what turns genes on or off. Trauma is when you get r- wrong types of methylation. You have bad genes turned on and good genes turned off. So these psychedelic ceremonies, that healing you're experiencing is the changes in methylation. You're unmethylating. I mean, you're un you're you're undoing the epigenetic changes that the trauma caused in the first place. But if your methylation process is mutated or disturbed that's why it's not as lasting because you're not actually you know you can get the cognitive benefits of the altered state you could realize these things but to really accept that in your soul and move on as a better person you need to actually change that undo that epigenetic rewiring and the interesting part about methylation not a lot of people know is that if you are inflamed the methylation process is also used to make glutathione the body's number one antioxidant so the second there's inflammation in the body, it's like imagine there's a fire going on in the house. If there's a fire in the other room of your house, you're not going to continue playing Xbox or whatever. You're going to go put out the fire. And that's what the body does with methylation. If there is oxidative stress or inflammation in the body, your methylation process will will not spend time methylating your genes or making neurotransmitters because all of these are in the methylation cycle. It'll put all the resources to making glutathione, get rid of that oxidative stress. So kind of coming full circle here, like you mentioned, you have all this stuff going on. You're not, your body's not even going to be focusing on undoing the traumatic rewiring because to them, that heavy metal is a more immediate threat than the trauma you experienced growing up. Yeah, there's definitely like a hierarchical of needs and your body's going to yeah. prioritize the way it needs to do. And if there's just it's, constant inflammation, there's nothing there's nothing else more important than that, you know, and I had inflammation down to the bones. It felt like when I had Lyme, it was insane. Yeah. Like if I didn't go do yoga, like something light to stretch, like I felt like my back and my, all my hips, my knees. It was like I felt like I was 100 years old. It was yeah. insane. Yeah, Lyme can be nasty for sure. Absolutely. I went out to uh, Dr. Minkoff out in Clearwater, like one of the best. I think he's got like an 85 or 90% success rate with Lyme and cancer. Super expensive, but I felt like I needed to target the Lyme specifically before I dove into more of the heavy metals and the stuff on the back end. Like I just wanted to target that specifically because I knew how tricky it could be. And it was a hell of a process, but it, it paid off in the long run. And I always wonder too, you know, if we had a time machine and could go back in time and support the methylation vitamin D pathways, any, some of these weak Achilles heels of your cells. You know, I always wonder like, would any of this have happened in the first place? You know, I love to see, there's nowhere to actually study that, you know, we don't have a time machine, but like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm personally convinced that the people that get the sickest, like I mentioned before with the heavy metals, I don't think it's so much this increased exposure. I just think it's the reduced ability 
to detoxify. Obviously, you'll never get mold if you don't come in contact with mold. But as I mentioned, that's never going to happen. So imagine we go back in time. I really wonder if um, this stuff can be totally prevented, you know, and this is why I love the preventative medicine side of things, because the reason what the people that get these chronic diseases later in life, they're also the ones that dealt with inflammation throughout their life, whether it's anxiety that comes and goes, joint pain that comes and goes, bloating that comes and goes, you know, the, 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 those cellular disturbances are the beginnings of disease. You not feeling great most of the time is an indicator of early disease progression, if you ask me, because the problem is the diagnostic tools nowadays, by the time you have symptoms, real symptoms that can be actually like diagnosed for a disease, I want to say it's too late, but it's too far gone, if you will. Like you're already had that disease formed versus if you could optimize your health throughout that whole process, you'd A, be having a more enjoyable life day to day because you'll have less inflammation. You'll have more natural energy. You won't need as much caffeine. You'll feel better. You'll feel more in touch with yourself, but you're also going to be preventing that age-related decline because age is the one disease that's inevitable for all of us. Um, It's just an inevitable part of life, but the age plus the decades, I mean, cancer usually takes, by the time you have an actual diagnosable tumor, it can take 10 to 20 years for that cancer to grow. So if you get a cancer diagnosis at age 55, that could have started in your 30s, possibly your early, mid 30s. So, I mean, I just turned 30 now and to think that, I feel like I'm just getting started with my life and to think that my choices now could dictate starting the formation of cancer is scary to think about, but like, I know I'm doing everything I can, uh, you know, within reason, you can only do so many biohacks to optimize different cellular pathways that lead to these chronic diseases. Yeah, totally agree with everything you're saying. I think a lot of people have Lyme, um, you know, and they don't really express it much because they're just a little bit healthier or they don't have as, you know, their detox or methylation. Everything's working a little bit more correctly than mine was for sure. Have you ever heard of a area? I've been digging into this a little bit called metabolomics. Yeah, I, I think so. So you're talking about like the different uh, metabolite, like, like intermediary forms of things. Yeah, I'm trying, you know, I you would understand it a lot better than me. I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. I'm, I'm uh, interviewing this doctor who um, apparently has this new way to test kind of like early stages of cancer and like liver disease, like when in stage one through metabolomics. So I've been trying to wrap my little monkey brain around that. It's not as easy maybe as you would probably understand it a lot more. But yeah, I'm interviewing him next month. So I think that'll be a cool little episode. I guess you can just just like prick your finger at home. So it's super easy, like a couple hundred bucks comes right to your house. You send it in and you can kind of do these tests periodically from what I've gathered and kind of catch some early stages of things and be a little bit more proactive instead of like what you said. I mean, we're being super reactive. That's what I was like. I was half dead by the time I started seeing doctors. I'm like, yeah, I think I waited a tad bit too long here. I was using Adderall and cannabis, you know, to kind of just make it through and kind of override the symptoms and to get shit done because I was a busy person. And but and in the long run, it just, you know, I just crashed and burned once I got sober and was like, oh, I'm just I'm a fucking wreck total. I got to go see somebody like I'm just awful. Yeah. Now, the metabolomics, I'm pretty sure essentially works by like cancer cells have different metabolism routes than regular cells. That's how they're able to survive in areas that don't get a lot of oxygen and um, figuring out certain metabolites. If you have higher amounts of certain metabolites 
that can indicate that there are cancer cells forming. So metabolomics, definitely an emergent area of research, especially for the finger prick at home test. That sounds uh, really, really awesome because disease cells use different nutrients, even if it's not a cancerous cell. A, you know, if you have early stage, like fatty liver disease or something, you know, they will metabolize uh, nutrients in different fashion. So being able to see what higher amounts of those dysregulated nutrient metabolites are uh, definitely makes a lot of sense. And that's pretty crazy that it'd be like an at home thing. That sounds really fucking cool. Yeah, I'm going to try my best to interview him, even though I don't know if I'll be able to understand it all. It seems really cool. And I'll send you the episode over once I get done so you can maybe dive into it and see what you think about that for sure. I wanted to actually get into psychedelics a little bit since we kind of already touched on it and I wanted to talk about those. Are there like genetics uh, that people do respond better or worse to different psychedelics, either, either microdose fashion or higher dose fashion? Yeah, definitely. And these are some that I uh, implement in my practice. Um, you know, obviously these are all, you know, hey, you know, this may make sense for you. You know, I can't obviously, you know, supply any of these currently, um, but um, so the classical psychedelics, um, psilocybin, LSD, DMT, mescaline, DMT analogs, they bind the serotonin 2A receptor. That's what makes you trip. That's what gives you those, you know, warped visuals and stuff. Um, those are considered classical psychedelics. And that receptor, the serotonin 2A receptor, Normally, serotonin in your brain binds it, and then your brain does release some of its own DMT, so that also binds it. Now, that receptor can be mutated, and it could be either more sensitive or less sensitive. The less sensitive actually has tangible data about it, and that is linked to anxiety, depression, poor responses to serotonin medications, and that, to me, that means that that individual would likely respond better to classical psychedelics. Because if you think about it, their overall serotonin levels could be totally fine, but they could have a mutated serotonin 2A receptor. So regular medicine would put them on a drug that raises overall serotonin. Yes, you'll be stimulating that one receptor more, but then you're going to be overstimulating the other receptor types that serotonin binds to. And that's where a lot of these side effects come into play. I mean, sexual dysfunction, numbed out feeling from SSRIs, they're incredibly common. It may not be a serotonin level issue. It may be a specific receptor issue. So for those individuals, um, something like a microdose, um, usually recommend psilocybin because that LSD has more dopamine effects. It's a little more stimulatory. So can be good, but I mean, that can also kind of ramp people up a little bit. So I kind of use psilocybin as a little more of a calming type thing. But they actually also have, Nootropics Depot came out with this product. It's the Bacopa Maneri herb. They isolate a certain component of it. It actually binds the same receptor on the side to make it more sensitive. So I've been using that in my practice as well for people, for anyone that, you know, doesn't want to go down the psychedelic route. This mimics the effects. Like molecularly, it is a very similar feeling to a microdose, except there's no risk of taking too much you trip because it binds a different area on the receptor. Um, also, it's totally legal and it's cheap and inexpensive. And the individuals with those serotonin receptor mutations, they're the ones that had these horrible intrusive thoughts their whole lives. And whether it's the microdose or, um, you know, that other, uh, it's called Cognance supplement I mentioned, Within an hour, they'll be like, oh, my God, the voices are gone because they had a lot more area to improve upon with that. 
if that makes sense. So you can actually also have mutations in that BDNF gene I mentioned to you before that I have. That's one of the reasons why I personally respond very, very well to psychedelics. My serotonin receptor isn't mutated, but my BDNF is. Um, now, regarding other psychedelics, like ketamine is considered dissociative, but I guess you consider that a psychedelic as well. That also raises BDNF, so that mutation could predict responsiveness. Um, regarding the receptors that binds to, not quite as well researched, um, but definitely regarding the classical psychedelics. Um, and now on the flip side, I also have this theory, there can be mutations that make the receptor more sensitive. So what could that look like? That could look like people that are very sensitive to frequencies, whether it's energetic vibes from people, whether it's you know EMF frequencies. Um, I work with some people that are like angel whisperers, that they can contact these div divine entities. And, you know, regardless of what you believe in or don't believe in, anyone listening, I'm just saying that from my point of view, seeing the lines of work some of my clients have been in, I have some ideas about what types of mutations might make the receptor more sensitive. Because here's the thing about genetics. Like one gene can be mutated in 20,000 different areas. We get data on all 20,000, but we have no idea what, 90, 95 plus percent of them even do, if that makes sense. Like we know what it should normally be spelled like, and we can tell if you have a mutation, but no one's researched what that actually does because not every mutation in a gene actually changes how the protein functions. Some can make it work better. Some can make it work worse. So that's why I'm so excited for the future because we be, we know basically nothing about genetics yet still we're able to change lives by using genetics. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting that I think some of those people can get increased intuition because they're almost microdosing on their own serotonin and DMT because their receptors are hypersensitive versus someone that's depressed that isn't as sensitive. That would also mean they probably trip super hard and have a low tolerance. That's really, really fucking interesting. That's super cool, man. I would be, I'm, it is interesting that we don't know really anything about genetics, but we can still also like pull out so much data from what we do know, but there's just a lot more to be learned. And uh, as far as like the genetics, so is there like negative outcomes for certain people if they have certain genetics as far as psychedelics go? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there are, it's also depends on the metabolism pathways of that. There is a company, I forgot the name of them. They're doing a couple of gene testing to see how you metabolize the psychedelics to figure out what your dosage should be. Because you want to make sure someone gets enough of a dose, but you don't want to give them too much of a dose. Um, I do think, you know, the classical psychedelics, they can aggravate underlying psychiatric conditions in some individuals. Like, I don't think, I don't think everyone in the world should try classical psychedelics. I think something like MDMA, which is relatively risk-free compared to that, it's not as like in your head tripping. It's more so openness and empathy um, that's something I think that every human being should at least experience once in their life. I really, it's going to be FDA approved in the, in the near future. Um, but it's hard to say because I'm not aware of any specific genes that can increase the risk of a adverse psychiatric event. We just know it can occur in some individuals. The data just isn't completely there at the moment. Um, but always, you know, set and setting is king, you know, it's way different, eating a bunch of mushrooms at a crazy rave or something versus doing them in like a quiet little hill in the woods with two of your closest buddies. You know what I mean? The chance of adverse effects at the rave are much, much higher. 
Um, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with having some mushrooms with your friends and just giggling, you know what I mean? But at the same point, mm-hmm. they do need to be treated with respect. And I also do think that the deeper your trauma is rooted, the deeper your issues are related in unresolved trauma versus more so a brain chemistry imbalance. I do think that macro dose, and especially with a guided, someone to guide you through it, whether it's a shaman or a clinician, and help you integrate that after the fact. Talking the day after, or once you come down, talking about your experience and figuring out what the top lessons were you learned and writing them down right away, within a few days tops, that is what is extremely important to figure out. Because otherwise, you know, you feel that afterglow for a couple of days, then it goes away. So then what were those things you learned that you could start implementing into your sober life now? Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm super glad that I like did a lot of research before I started playing around with like the higher dose mushrooms. You know, <laughs> I did, I had like read Tim Ferriss, uh, Tools of Titans and was like, okay, I'll do some micro doses. I like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I've done all kinds of drugs in my day. So <laughs> what's a little bit of mushrooms? So I played around with it, really liked that, kind of helped me like not want to drink. And I, I think honestly, LSD micro doses probably helped me just like quit being an alcoholic. Like they <laughs> literally like, it banished like yeah. almost all like cravings that I had for alcohol. And I just, it was like so easy to just like not go out and party and all that shit. So I really do uh, think LSD is great if you have like dependency on alcohol, but then, um, for the larger doses, I've always done them like very ceremonial, like with the, the shamanic music, the eye cover on, I'm just laying down because I don't see myself like taking five grams and going to like electric forest or like to some, like, I think I would flip the fuck out. So, I mean, I like it to be laying down. I, you know, I got my water next to me. I got my eye mask. I'm kind of with a couple people or by myself. And that's how I feel like I've gotten only good results from that. Yeah. You go through the traumas and you cry and you release a lot and, um, that's all good, but I didn't have anything like dramatic happen because I felt like the set and setting was always good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, the uh, yeah, shrooms make me kind of antisocial, so I don't really like doing them out in public. And the micro, honestly, I'm I'm more of a macro. Like the micro dosing, the shrooms made me kind of tired, and then the micro dosing LSD made me have weird types of headaches. I think it's due to a uh, LSD actually also binds histamine receptors. So I think if you're histamine mm. sensitive, you could get some of those histamine type effects. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd rather just do a macro here and there, kind of similar to how you mentioned with that and, um, you know, see what you can get out of that. And then I'm sure you'll test to this too. As you get more familiar with that altered state, you can tap into that soberly and be a lot more mindful and aware of these things. So it's like, you don't even need to only be under the influence to be able to get those benefits. And again, I think a lot of that comes down to that neuroplasticity you use you use it or lose it. You know, whatever neural pathways you're using get stronger over time, especially if you're using substances that boost that neuroplasticity as well. Um, like now I notice myself, um, you know, when I interact with certain people that I meet, I could just see right away, um, like that hyper awareness, picking up the body languages and how people are interacting. I could just see right away when people are reacting out of like fear or ego or trauma. And, you know, it's, it pains me to see people acting that way, but they're not even aware of their own patterns because they're just, you know, in that, you know, they're still just in that reactive state. You know, they're not aware. And you know what? You can't, you can't be everyone's white knight. You know what I mean? You can't <laughs> save people that don't want to be saved. And, you know, there's nothing, I'm not saying my way is better than someone else's way, this or that, but I think there's just so much, uh, 
unnecessary suffering from that aspect, but also from, you know, the supplemental side that could help with, but again, that spiritual, emotional side as well. You're spot on with it. My wife and I talk about this all the time. Like, man, like almost like maybe we healed too much. Like, maybe like like you go around, you go back into certain circles and you're like, dude, everyone's like just stuck in their patterns and their cycles. And the way that they communicate with their partner is like, like mind blowing. And it's like, or rather rather the way they don't communicate or don't communicate. Like how this, the body language, like you can just see it, like you can see right through them. And I think psychedelics do play a part in that. I mean, plus a lot of yoga and meditation, you start to just be more aware, I think. And plus we weren't always like this. So we used to party a lot together. Like we had those patterns as well. So I think kind of coming out of them and unraveling them all and then going through it, through the weeds, like ourselves. Now, when we go back around, like old, especially like old friends, you know, once you kind of start evolving, you start to gather new friends that are like-minded. So then it's like in those circles, everyone's kind of good. But then once you like go back home and you hang out with some old buddies or something, you're like, shit man that's kind of how we used to be and and it's not like downplaying anybody they just haven't really worked through that and learned good communication and changed their energy and trying to unravel some of their childhood trauma and stuff and i think it is a big piece that's holding people back no i absolutely couldn't agree more and you know it's one of those things that i feel like now i'm kind of coming full circle where you first heal yourself or i want to say heal yourself it's always a it's always a journey but you know you, you make those leaps and strides and then can't really be around you know those other types of people but now i feel like i'm starting to come back around where now it's more so just an acceptance thing you know it's like it's like what stage of the awakening are you at if that makes sense you know what i mean like at first you're Mm -hmm. like screaming you know how are you guys not paying attention to this or that and then as you get used to it you're just sitting there with your sunglasses on just chilling doing your own thing because it doesn't affect you you know what i mean so um, I've gotten a bit better with that. But yeah, when it's people that I've known throughout my life that I still see haven't really progressed or moved on at all spiritually, emotionally, you know, it's it's painful because it's people that, you know, old friends that I still do deeply care about. You know what I mean? But um, again, you know, y- y- you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So, you know. Different friends with different scenarios. Certain people you'll always be close with that treat you well. They may just not, you know, treat themselves as well as they could. But, you know, to each his own. Yeah, I, I think it, I don't know why that that's the most common theme, I think, is like you start learning, you start getting into psychedelics, you start healing. You're like, everybody needs to try this. Everybody's got to yeah. do this. It's like, do the work, you know, heal your body. And then like at, the more you heal, the more it also, I think opens you up to more acceptance because then like now I'm like, my brother's completely not healthy and he's got on the SSRIs and the things. And I just am in complete acceptance. You know, I used to hound him and you know, that shit doesn't work and you need to just try this and try that. And it's like, you really cannot push stuff on people. And now I, I've pretty much gotten to the point where I'll let pretty much anybody tell me about like their struggles or their diet. I don't care if it's veganism or whatever they're doing. And I don't even butt in with my two cents unless they ask me specifically, because I just, I've noticed that it's like, you're just almost like invading their territory and it never ends well. And they get defensive or they say it sounds hard or whatever it is. It's like, 
they like I'm on social media. You know what I do. Like you know the supplements I take and the people that I talk to. Like if you want help, just ask me. You know, like and if you if you're not gonna ask, then I'm not gonna provide because I I feel like it's a waste of time. People don't want to hear it. You know, it's just it really is just more of an accepting thing. And like you said, I just love people for where they're at. And you know, I can't be around them all the time because it kind of brings me down energetically. But I do still love them from a distance. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Cool, man. What about, um, you touched on MDMA. So let's hop into that. Uh, I've only done MDMA like party settings. I know you kind of mm-hmm. like to go to electronic shows and shit yeah. too. It's kind of been more my, my setting with it, but I do think I've had a few like minor, almost spiritual style experiences there. My wife and I being really open with each other and you know, even just friends being more open and communicative about just like, you know, relationships and, you know, just different things that you really don't tap into unless you take that molecule. So um, have you tried it like clinically or has, has your like only been in party settings as well? Yeah. I mean, like clinically in an actual legitimate clinical setting. Like, you know, like no, the, how they're, how they're yeah. trying to regulate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, you know, that, that changed a lot for me, my ability to feel, you know, I did it you know, back in early college, stuff like that, party scene, all of that. But like now, you know, I'll be, t- I'm totally transparent now. Like I still love partying, you know, using that substance. And, but now it's not, I'm pretty much over the whole, let's go into a packed out club and do it with crazy strobes, this and that. Like I'm on the vibe now. I'll have three to maybe, I don't know, 10 or so of my close friends, like being totally honest, I prefer, even though they're all my close friends, I prefer lesser numbers of people. And literally like at my place, I DJ play some of our own music and, you know, really focus on, um, feeling good and safe, not raging, you know, you're grooving, you're vibing, dancing itself is neurogenic, dancing itself raises BDNF. Um, it's been shown to help with Alzheimer's disease. Um, these substances are neurogenic. Um, community is neurogenic. So combining all these together in a safe space, um, really can move the needle a lot for people. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely, definitely one of my favorite substances and it's remarkably not as neurotoxic as people think it's the overheating. It's the half a bottle of tequila you had at the pregame. You know, those (laughs) are the things that are really causing a lot of this oxidative stress, Um, Of course, as always, you know, that is, it is a depleting substance, meaning psilocybin, LSD, DMT, they mimic serotonin and bind your receptors. MDMA makes you release your own serotonin. So, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind. I think most of the hangover come down people get after MDMA is due to the inflammation in the brain, not so much the serotonin depletion. However, my point is like people have asked me, oh, can you microdose MDMA? I'm like, no, that'd be a horrible idea because you're going to be continually dumping your own serotonin, you know, and depleting that over time. Um, but yeah, you mentioned, you know, with your spouse, it is going to absolutely revolutionize couples therapy without a doubt in my mind, because so many couples are reactive and they hear a certain thing the other person does they don't like and they just react and lash out and yell and the other person is triggered. And you're able to, similar to how it's having such promise with PTSD, you take some of it, you're able to talk about something that would normally cause you distress and that wall would come up or you'd react. It enables you to just listen, really listen and empathize and hear that and not just judge and react right away. Um, So 
Yeah, I mean, I'm an advocate for it. You know, I always tell everybody, don't be an idiot. Dance safe test kits are so freaking cheap. There's so many analogs and test chemicals out there and stuff. And if you're going to go down that route, test your stuff, be safe about it. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely a fan of, you know, the more intimate setting like that. And you can really pull things out from your subconscious with that. And at least relative to these other psychedelics, it's a lot more pleasurable of an experience. You know, it literally feels good. It's raising serotonin. And that's the one substance. There's really no such thing as really a bad trip, a bad roll, unless the stuff doesn't work. You got fake or like bunk stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that, that's, that got approved for clinical use in Australia. I think it'll be approved in the America for PTSD. Um, I think... 2025, it should be, no, I think 2024, um, it should actually be approved, which will be very interesting. They're actually also doing clinical trials for one of the isomers of MDMA for autism spectrum disorder, which wow. is really interesting to try and uh, help them enhance some of those social deficits because MDMA makes you a lot more social. You know, we've all seen the memes. You can't stop telling your friends how much you love them, you know, because you're just so social. And, you know, I think it erodes a lot of the a lot of people are conditioned in grade school and stuff to, you know, like the it crowd, the cool people, you know, they don't really care about stuff. You know, you want to like be laissez-faire about stuff, you know, and kind of just play it off like you don't care that much about stuff. And this really erodes that. So that friend that is kind of emotionally closed off will pour their heart out and tell you, like I've had some of my friends that, you know, are a little more emotionally closed off. Still my great friends, but I know they have some work to do. They'll ingest it. And they'll open up like a book and just share all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, like, I'm here for you. Like, where's this been? Like, I've been waiting for this because I can tell you're not being the best you because you're just so afraid to share this stuff. People don't want to be burdens to people. People don't want to look less masculine. But like at the end of the day, you should be focused on trying to be your best self. And I think MDMA is an amazing tool to enable you to do that, and especially for the social connection. Um, yeah, you could be social on shrooms and stuff, but they can also get weird socially. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It definitely has that weird, trippy headspace that, you know, you can get kind of spooked and, you know, things can get weird sometimes with that versus the MDMA is a lot more smooth. I just feel good and more open. Um, so, yeah, I really think that's going to be a game changer Um for therapy as well, the be I think you could light you could skip ahead light years of time for talk therapy if someone is utilizing a substance like MDMA because rather than those I don't know weeks or sometimes months it takes for someone to actually open up, you can get to that right away. Um, so yeah, it's benefited my life in a lot of ways, and I do think it gets a bad rap, especially when you got booze marketed all on TV, you got nicotine vapes everywhere, you know, it's all intentional to some degree, you know, they know what's going to lower everyone's, you know, emotional intelligence, they know alcohol kills that creativity spiritual center of your brain, that's why they want it there, they want um, us to be consuming that so we can blindly consume and buy other things. Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman, and through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives.
Yeah, I 100% agree. And I don't do it very often, maybe once or twice a year. You know, I'm 35. So like Mm -hmm. I used to go to raves and shit, but forever ago, I kind of, once I got sick, kind of got out of the scene, but I still like a good show with a little MDMA, maybe once or twice a year, nothing crazy. Um, But it's funny you say that about your friend, because one of my best friends who I like call a brother, like he doesn't play around with any of this stuff like ever. He'll only maybe microdose if he's with me and we're going to the beach or something. And uh, he took like a little shroom cap and then uh, he had like a tiny little bit of MDMA. We were out at the beach and but he opened up like a book. I'll yeah. tell you, like just about his relationships, about everything to me, to my wife. And I was like, he was like, dude, I don't think I've ever been that open with yeah. almost anybody. And it just was like, doesn't take you know, much. So, you, you, you don't got to be, you know, rolling balls like, you know, super. We fucked up. Yeah. Even a little bit. Um, I think for the clinical um, clinical trial protocol for PTSD. I think they do 2.15 gram, no, 2.12 gram capsules, which, I mean, you're definitely rolling on that, you know, you're definitely like, that's definitely for sure. Um, But, you know, you're not, I always like to tell people too, it's much more lucid than people think. People think it's going to be like booze is one of the most intoxicating substances, in my opinion. Like you feel so out of it. You could still be very clear headed on MDMA and sort through these things. So that's awesome to hear about your friend. Now, is yeah. he able to make some uh, some good improvements after that? Like able to kind of like integrate some of that stuff and make some changes? I, I think so. I think he actually, you know, he was in a different relationship. Now he's in a better one. You know, I think that he, you know, I think he had some realizations for sure. He didn't just break up with this girl instantly but i think he did find himself in a better relationship that seems a little bit more cohesive and what he wanted and things and some people get stuck in just like comfortability and maybe you have kids and whatever it is you have a family so it's kind of harder to break up than just breaking up with your random girlfriend you know people are afraid to start over too you know Mm -hmm. it's you know it it makes sense you know but at the end of the day it's a lot of people kid themselves that things will get better when if you're both not actively working together to help resolve these things, what makes you think it's going to change? I think that's probably the epiphany he had that like, mm-hmm. it, is it horrible right now? No, but is it going to get better? Probably not. So it's like, let me go work to make something, manifest something better. Absolutely. I know that um, Zach, our mutual friend, told me you, you're you pretty good with like uh, different supplemental stacks while taking for maybe a roll or a psychedelic yep. experience. Uh, what do you do to calm down maybe some of that brain inflammation as far as MDMA goes? Yeah, so um, I really like uh, magnesium is super important. Um, magnesium actually blocks the receptor that – sorry, I think I word this. Everyone says neurotoxicity. Neurotoxicity is when a brain cell dies from too much excitation, too much stimulation. Calcium has to flow through something called the NMDA receptor in order to kill a brain cell. Magnesium blocks that. So you'll be protecting your brain cells. Very, very neuroprotective. Um, in addition, it also helps relax your jaw, which, you know, anyone that's done MDMA can tell you your jaw gets, you know, a lot of activity there. So kind of that's the amphetamine side of that. So it kind of helps calm that down a bit. Um, and then antioxidants. So I like alpha-lipoic acid, uh, very important. Um, sometimes acetyl-L-carnitine. Um, I do like some curcumin um, to help settle some of that neuroinflammation as well. Um, and then definitely after the fact, um, I've actually even experimented without even taking like five HTP or tryptophan. Like I've, ex- and this is what led me to believe that I think most of the MDMA effects are due to inflammation. Cause I'm sure you heard of five HTP, give yourself yeah, more serotonin after the fact I've done some experiments where, you know what, I'm not going to take this afterwards. And I feel completely fine when on paper, 
you know, I should have no serotonin left because I took some MDMA. Um, so, um, yeah, definitely magnesium, um, curcumin, alpha lipoic acid, acetyl L-carnitine. Those are the main ones that I tend to implement. Um, I've even, I've even done ibuprofen sometimes, experimented with that a little bit as well, but I didn't really notice much of an increased benefit versus the other more, um, natural routes of that. But basically things that are going to, um, lower the inflammation of the brain, yet at the same point, not affect adrenaline levels. Like I remember I tried a green tea extract that actually elevates adrenaline in the body. And I already have high adrenaline and adrenaline is kind of the antithesis of MDMA. MDMA is a lot more serotonin calming effects. I haven't really rolled. I literally just felt like a weird sober-ish because I had higher adrenaline. I wasn't anxious, but like, I just didn't really feel, you know, when you feel that like breakthrough, you're like, okay, I made it. I feel calm. Um, so you're going to want things that don't really jack up that adrenaline aspect. Um, so yeah, a, a lot, a lot of antioxidant support primarily. And then the, the magnesium kind of a little bit throughout, um, to help with the jaw, but also to help for the overall neurotoxicity. It's a lot harder to kill a brain cell than people think. Um, also it's been shown that the vast majority of cellular damage comes from overheating on MDMA, not actually the MDMA itself. And actually they made a correction from a paper, the studies they used to use all the monkey studies to prove to us MDMA rots holes in your brain. Turns out they were like, Oh, actually we gave them meth. Our bad. We worded that wrong for like 20, 20 years. So that was wow. a recent thing that, um, they were actually giving the monkeys meth, which is the most extremely neurotoxic, you know, the most neurotoxic like street drug there is out there um, instead of that. So all the data that we were fear mongered throughout growing up, shown on Oprah Winfrey, it rots holes in your brain. These were all studies involving methamphetamine, not methylene dioxymethamphetamine, which is um, MDMA. <clears throat> That's super funny. And it goes on for 20 years and they wonder why half the population's got their tinfoil hat on 24 seven, because it's like one thing no. after another, it's like, Oh, actually, it wasn't this. It wasn't sugar. It wasn't cholesterol. It wasn't saturated fat. It's like one thing after another. And then you start to just go, okay, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Like they're literally lying to us. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, uh, yeah, dopaminergic drugs are significantly more neurotoxic. Um, so, like things like meth, I mean, you know, out of, the, out of all the substances I've done, I've done coke maybe less than five times in my life. Fucking miserable time every time. I regret it every single time. Like I I've feel, never done it. Still, I feel don't. I feel, I feel so horrible after doing like tiny amounts just like years ago. Like the worst depressive anxiety for like a week afterwards, and just that is something that rewires your reward circuitry in your brain to make you want more of it, even though it doesn't feel as good. I mean, I've heard of plenty of people just taking one dose of MDMA in a night. I've never heard of someone just doing one bump of cocaine in a night. It's <laughs> literally impossible. So that's the one, you know, I steer far away from that. And I give all my friends, any of my friends that do do it, I always give them shit. I'm like, it's at least take an Adderall or something. It's pharmaceutical grade. It's not going to be cut. There's going to be no fentanyl. Like at least do that if you're going to do an upper, you know, I always try to sway them away from that. But at least I tell them, Buy some fentanyl test strips, please. Like, at least buy that. So at least you don't die right now if you're really going to do it. But, um, yeah, I mean, even Adderall, very, I mean, the recreational, I mean, the therapeutic doses haven't been proven to cause neurotoxicity. But those also lower BDNF. They lower 
um, neuroplasticity. Like they did a study with mice. They gave them Adderall. Their BDNF tanked. Um, they had behavioral issues. Then they gave them ketamine after the fact, which raises BDNF. And it boosted BDNF back up and it fixed all the behavioral deficits from that. Um, so ketamine actually binds similar receptors as magnesium. So if you're, and that's why with these amphetamines, magnesium can help a lot. It helps raise that BDNF. Interesting. Ketamine's the next thing I want to explore. I actually want to go out to this clinic here in Clearwater and uh, do a couple treatments and then maybe interview the guy. I haven't, I've never done that in a party setting or, mm -hmm. uh, so I think um, it'd be cool to try it. Like having never tried it before at a rave or anything and just going into like the clinical setting with it. Um, I've listened to some Tim Ferriss podcasts and different things that I thought uh, seems a little intriguing. And I know you can do like the at home kind of trips as well, like with the lozenges, like, mm -hmm. but I want to try it in the clinic first just to kind of see what it, what it even does for sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that molecule too has had a big impact on my life as well. And I think that especially really lets you really lets you get very introspective and the dissociative properties make you observe your thoughts from a third person perspective, which means you can interpret your own thoughts without biases. Like when you're soberly thinking your thoughts, you're always running them through your own internal bias. You know, you can always justify your own thoughts in your own head. But when you're under the influence of a dissociative, you really can view that as if someone else is thinking it and then be like, huh, looking at all this information I have here, this thought actually doesn't make sense. And then that's what, that's what I think that ketamine can really help with that aspect of that um, but it's also a really powerful and anxiolytic. So it lowers anxiety as well to make you feel more, uh, calm and safe. And like I mentioned, it functions the same way as magnesium. It is profoundly neuroprotective, um, of the brain. Um, it's actually FDA approved that if you show up to certain, uh, hospitals with a stroke, they're able to IV with ketamine to save your brain cells from dying from lack of oxygen. Um, that's how powerful it is. And the thing that's cool about ketamine is that, it's been FDA approved since the, since like 1970. So like we know very well how it works, very good safety profile. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's going to be very, very beneficial as well. Um, so yeah, definitely keep, keep me posted how that, how that goes. I've never done it in the actual uh, clinical setting, but I do know that the IVs can be, uh, especially for treatment resistant depression, They'll be pretty high doses. Like they'll be really getting you blasted out there and then kind of, you know, you'll be under clinical supervision, of course, but really kind of get you out there versus the lozenges are more, let's loosen you up a little and talk to someone over Zoom. So definitely different approaches for it. But um, definitely, I think another really useful uh, molecule to help you get out of your own thought process, get out of your own way. You know what I mean? Think from a new perspective, create a new belief system. Um, the power of the placebo is like incredibly pow powerful. I think placebo ties into manifestation. Um, you know, if you um, truly believe in something that you're doing, your body will respond by making you more motivated to do it. So then you'll be more motivated to do more work around that. And is it really manifesting or is it just now you're more motivated to do the work? So you actually do the work. So you actually accomplish the goal. Yeah, I totally get it. So I want to try, there's actually two different clinics around here where one is where you do like the IV and you blast off. And then there's another one, a guy who I reached out to, who's got the more like at home kind of lasagnas of two different clinics. And so I think I might play around with the clinical dosage with the IV first, see what that is. And then see if I can't uh, get some benefits out of a little bit at home. Cause 
I know quite a few people who like the um, like the ketamine, and I've heard some good results as far as different podcasts I've listened to. So that's probably next up on my list. I was just yeah, I got been super busy, and I know I, that's actually the other good thing about ketamine is it's like you actually don't really need that long. Like I can just go. Oh, over the there. pharmacokinetics are really interesting. Yeah, I mean it's you know with within an hour tops. You know, I mean not including you know. They got to set you up, talk to you after, but the actual effect itself, an hour or less, and the drop off is, you know, like LSD is in your system until you go to bed. You know, it never really like wears off, wears off. This will be a very, very steep drop off. Within a few minutes, it'll be like, wow, like I was that intoxicated or I was that high before. And now three <laughs> minutes later, I'm literally completely back and could drive a car, like complete drop off, which is really interesting for. Again, for the treatments, because the longer a psychedelic drug lasts, the longer you have to be, you know, longer you have to pay people, clinicians in the clinic, so the higher the cost. So they're actually working on psilocybin analogs that have half as long of a duration. Because if they can get you in and out in an hour or two instead of five hours, that'll be a lot cheaper for the customer, a lot more accessibility. Yeah, I've heard some like Ben Greenfield talking about that or some other podcast saying that they're definitely working on that. And that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, anybody who's been through a ceremony, like if you want to pay somebody to sit there with you all day, especially when you're paying like therapists. And sometimes yeah. they, I think they're even making you have two therapists yeah. in these settings. So it's like you're paying two therapists for five, six hours of their time, maybe longer if you have a bad trip or yeah. it just like kind of wears on you for a while and they can't let you go. Like, I mean, you're looking at some a hefty fee for that. Yeah, it's interesting too. I think a Mind Medicine is a psychedelic company. Um, they're developing a molecule to a kill switch. So a molecule that will dislodge psychedelics from their receptors. So imagine ah. if someone's having a bad trip, you know, you know, people will say, oh, have a couple of beers if you're having a bad trip or have a Xanax, you know, to calm yourself down. But imagine literally just being able to dislodge that drug from the receptor and end that trip prematurely, which is a really fascinating thing to think about, especially for the clinical setting. And that's what's interesting too, you know, I'm torn about the whole clinical adoption because on one end, more people get good medicine, but at the same point, how do you mimic the proper set and setting like in a hospital room? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it is taking some of the magic out of that. But at the same point, if it helps people, it helps people. I just really hope they don't price gouge too much or make it too much of a, you know, corporate, you know, whatever thing, which I'm sure they're going to do, especially in America. But um, mixed feelings about it. But still, nonetheless, very excited to see where it goes and where the research goes with that. I mean, they're even doing clinical trials for microdosing LSD for ADD, ADHD. So in a couple of years, you'll be able to pick Adderall or microdose LSD, like literal clinical grade, which is crazy to think about. Even just our parents' generation is like, they were brought up on how horrible all these things are, you know? So it's crazy to see how far it's come. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm more into like the shamanic style of yeah. like the of the plant medicine ceremonies. I really like that, especially being a combo practitioner and everything. But I also do realize like, you know, someone's grandma's probably not called to that. She no. would much rather be yeah. in the, in the, the doctor's office with two therapists and, you know, whatever. She'll probably pay the extra money for that and feel safe and secure in that. So you do have to kind of look at it like I think a lot of people are like, oh, we're taken away from the traditions and this and that. And it's like, dude, mushrooms are readily available. You can grow them really easily. Like I think if anything needs to be widely distributed, it's probably fungus because they're so easy to grow indoors, yeah. outdoors. I mean, we're going to run combo dry if we keep doing it, probably. 
we're going to, you know, ayahuasca, I don't think they're growing it indoors anywhere. So it's like we could run out of that. So the resources are limited if it keeps getting bigger and bigger, but not with fungus. So that's why well, I like well, the mushroom. thing is, too, I do know, I think for the clinical grade, like you're going to be getting a tablet of psilocybin because, you know, the different species of mushroom, you know, can have varying quantities. Like I'm pretty sure they're going to be using yeast actually to grow psilocybin. Like that's oh, wow. the quickest way. Um, you basically give the yeast genes to produce psilocybin and then you isolate it. Um, they can do that as well with DMT as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, the molecule is the molecule. Um, I think they took psilocybin tablets. Um, where was, uh, where's Mary Sabina from again? What country? Mary's. Mary Sabina is like one of the psilocybin uh, mushroom like OGs. I forgot. It might have been Venezuela, I think. Long story short, they took the psilocybin tablets to the roots of psilocybin, you know, tribal therapy to the shamans. They took it and they're like seal of approval. Like it's it's the same oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the molecule is all that matters. But I think what matters a lot more than that is again the setting because mm -hmm. whether it's a perfectly naturally grown mushroom fungus in a hospital bed or a synthetic psilocybin tablet out in the field with the shamans i think that matters a lot more yeah 100 percent. i want to actually shift off of psychedelics here and i really didn't even uh ever hear this argument or the nuance around lion's mane until i started doing some research on you and i heard a whole podcast and i seen you post about it a little bit so why don't we dive into like, because I love functional mushrooms. They do really well for me, but I didn't even realize that people are actually being harmed by things like lion's mane. What are you seeing like within the communities of uh, what happens to people who negatively react to lion's mane? Yeah. So lion's mane, reishi mushroom, um, those are two that I know for sure. So they um, can block the enzyme that turns testosterone into DHT, dihydrotestosterone. DHT is much more potent than testosterone. Um, so it makes men, you know, feel like manly and, you know, that tenacity to attack the day, to get out and want to go provide. High levels of DHT are linked to balding. So that binds receptors in the scalp. That's what's linked to balding or something called androgenic alopecia, which women can have as well, where they have no hair from too high levels of DHT. Um, both of these mushrooms block the production of DHT. So they also raise BDNF and do a lot of other good things. But for some individuals that may have mutations in that enzyme or lower DHT levels by baseline can really have their DHT levels really messed up. And um, when I tried that personally, I tried lion's mane. I got really weird nausea from it. I think a lot of it's from the chitin. It's a protein in the fungal cell walls that can cause nausea in some people. But I took it for a couple of days. I noticed myself feeling a little too calm, which I think, you know, I'm not as sensitive to that. I was okay. But I've talked to some people that there's a whole subreddit about it that they take it for a week or so and they're, they have to dump their whole bank account on doctor's tests and stuff. They're fucked up for years, like years. Um, because that could be epigenetic rewiring of that machinery that helps make DHT. So, um, I don't recommend lion's mane to my clients out the gate anymore. There's a lot of other good ways to boost BDNF. And it's one of those things too. 
it's definitely a minority of people that have these effects. You know, that we would have heard this about this sooner if most people had these effects, but this just goes to show that supplements are drugs. A drug by definition is anything that alters human physiology. By definition, lion's mane's a drug, magnesium's a drug, uh, melatonin's a drug. You know, by the rudimentary definition, they're all drugs that need to be treated with respect. Um, so... Yeah, there's that aspect. And I know lion's mane can also activate uh, opioid receptors, um, which can actually lower prolactin. Sorry, raise prolactin. Um, and in men, that can really add to that numbing feeling, sexual dysfunction, um, higher heart rate, um, yet at the same point, uh, anxiety, yet very lethargic and tired. So yeah, I had uh, Ryan Russo reach out to me about that because someone sent that to me and I'm like, hey, I think I know exactly what's going on here. Um, and again, going back to optimizing methylation because imagine what happened to people that took lion's mane is sort of similar to what happens with psychological trauma, childhood trauma. The epigenetics, the methylation patterns changed. And now even though lion's mane has been removed, that enzyme still does not work as well. You don't make as much of that enzyme to make DHT because it was epigenetically silenced. So that's again why I think optimizing methylation so your cells can properly turn on the good genes, turn off the bad genes is so supremely important. Now, there's no studies showing taking this methylation booster helps with Lyme's main issues. You know what I mean? Like, this is where no one's <laughs> going to be studying this stuff. But I love thinking about stuff like this because it's cool no more so it's important it's also cool and interesting but it just seems so boring to me to live your whole life as a scientist just regurgitating conclusions from papers like all you do is take what's been proven directly and not make any inferencing especially when you're using all that everything i use is over the counter natural supplements so you could go buy it yourself anyways without my help but it lets me be a lot more free and exploratory with things. I could have some crazy hypothesis that this certain nutrient that's over the counter could help you with your depression and we could try it. What's the worst case scenario? You feel a little anxious. It doesn't do anything. Boom. You wasted 30 bucks. Like big deal. You know what I mean? So that's why I really love being on the natural side of things rather than trying out a medication that can have a lot of drawbacks. Um, but I also know a lot of people that have responded very, very well to lines, man. I made that post. A lot of people were saying, you know, I benefited a lot from it. And to those people, I say, stick with it. You know what I mean? This is not meant to fear monger away from certain things. Different nutrients or molecules have certain, have better usage profiles for certain individuals than others. Um, I think dictated mainly by the genetics. That's interesting. I also wondered if like, are the people on the subreddit, are they all getting messed up from like different brands, the yeah, same so brand? Because I know the- I know the brands, yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Because I know that like fungus actually does have a lot of, it'll have a lot of benefits within them, but then they also have a lot of toxic compounds. Yeah. That's why you're like not supposed to eat raw mushrooms. You're supposed to cook them with fat. And then the extraction process matters when it comes to like four sigmatic or life cycle or whatever you're going to use. Like the extraction process is really like key because some of these things that you're not just going to eat them raw, like they have a lot of toxic compounds, but then on the back end, if you do it the right way, then they have a lot of benefits for certain people. No, absolutely. And yeah, I was looking into the branding process, the extraction process, but even looking at the literature, these studies I was looking at were literally using 
like literally studying lines to see what it does to cells. So like these mechanisms that have matching symptoms, like I firmly believe it's literally the lines made mushroom itself. You know, I had some people that, you know, were really blasting me in the comments and then what do you know, I click on it, they own a mushroom company, you know? So they're trying to like <laughs> really, and you know, this isn't a diss to anyone that's doing that. You know what I mean? Um, certain people are saying they should remove all of lines made off the shelves. They should be warning people. Um, but I do think a big issue is there's no regulation on the dosages. Like anyone starting any supplement, I tell most people to start with half of the recommended dose. Um, I've seen Lion's Mane products with like several grams per serving, which if you're sensitive, that's a high dose right out of the gate. But they're not going to tell people start with one pill because that's not good for business. And this is one of the reasons why I haven't formed a supplement company yet because knowing everything that I know – I know I make one product that could be harming other people. I know I'd have to say mm. who shouldn't use it. And then I'm like, I'm cannibalizing my own sales. Then why even do it in the first place? Yeah, that makes total sense. But I mean, I guess it could be like if you thought you had a good combination of molecules and you, yeah. you were using it within your practice because you're yeah. looking at the genetics like, hey, use this. It might not blow up as much as like, you know, yeah. someone else's product, but it might be something that you think that you could create better than a, than what's yeah. out there or, or it's not out there at all. And you you got a special blend of things, but then you would have to really personalize it to each person. So it could work, but like you said, not good. Not for at business, scale, bro. but hey, it doesn't have to be at scale. You know, so that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So it could work, especially if you really have a cool idea with it. Um, let's switch over to CBD. I think you, you, uh, you have a pretty good outlook on CBD and why you use it. So what's good with CBD? Is there any genetics at play with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, CBD raises BDNF. So it actually grows new brain cells. Um, that's one of the ways it's able to have some promise for neurodegenerative diseases, um, as well as some mood disorders, um, it also helps lower inflammation as a lot of people know, but what it also does is so endocannabinoids, like the reason why we get high off marijuana is because THC happens to bind our receptors on our cells, but what's normally supposed to bind those receptors are endocannabinoids, endo meaning endogenous within our own body, cannabinoids meaning they bind cannabinoid receptors and these things regulate inflammation, mood, stress, sleep, gut, gut motility. So people can have mutations. These are quite common. They break down endocannabinoids faster than usual. So they have low endocannabinoids, which is linked to, as I mentioned, inflammation, depression, stress, gut issues, sleep issues. And CBD actually blocks the breakdown of the endocannabinoids. So if your proteins that break down endocannabinoids are faster than usual, CBD blocks that so your natural levels can rise up. And that's another mechanism by which CBD can work. Um, that's why it can help for pain. You can have more of this BDNF. You can have more endocannabinoids to help with inflammation. Mutations in genes that are involved with gut breakdown of endocannabinoids are linked to IBS. So when I see someone that comes to work with me that are having gut issues, they have this mutation I'll recommend like try out some CBD. Have you ever tried CBD before? You got to get a good brand. You got to make sure you're taking enough. Um, and it's not just people view it as an anxiety or a sleep supplement. It's an endocannabinoid supplement, if that makes sense. You know, it's bigger than just one symptom. When you look at all the things endocannabinoids do in the body, um, I have these mutations and I personally take CBD um, 
every day. I haven't taken it the past few days, you know, just, you know, haven't felt like I needed it. But the vast majority of days I take it each evening. And if I'm really stressed during the day or if I know I'm going to be having a hard conversation with someone or, you know, if I know I'm going to be triggered going out doing something, I'll have some CBD beforehand to kind of help soften that overall stress response. Um, and CBD raises your own endocannabinoid levels versus THC mimics endocannabinoids and, you know, obviously really nukes the endocannabinoid system. Um, I'm personally a cannabis user. Um, I didn't start really using until I was maybe 22, 23. Um, I think intentional use um, isn't a huge concern for people. It's, you know, that, you know, if you're ripping dabs all day, every day, you know, you can't justify that medically. You know what that I mean? Me. But like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, me personally, I'll do I'll do a couple puffs after the work day to just unwind. My brain is always going so fast. Like I, that just slows me down a bit. I can reflect, be present, um, helps me sleep a bit. Um, but it's more so the adolescent use, I think is a really, really big concern for people while the brain is developing those first 16 to 18 years of life. Um, but, um, yeah, cannabinoids are really interesting. There's also ones like CBN. So CBN is the sleepier version of CBD, much more sedating, much better for sleep. Um, so really, really fascinating. And I think CBD is an amazing molecule um, a lot of people just don't, I think you need roughly 40 to 50 milligrams at least to really have a noticeable effect, whether you want to spread that all throughout the day or not. Um, but Hey, it literally grows new brain cells. It stops inflammation. It can, uh, regulate the neurotransmission in the brain, raise GABA, lower cortisol. So I'm personally a big believer in it. Um, some people don't notice that much of benefits, and that to me means you probably don't have the mutations that make you have lower endocannabinoids. Um, like how I mentioned before, I have lower BDNF by baseline. So things that raise it, psychedelics, magnesium, CBD, I feel that a lot more because my baseline is lower to begin with. That makes sense. And, and from what I've gathered uh, uh, in the, like a lot of the research, the dose is really, really high too. Like two, 300 milligrams a lot of times yeah, if you do it for per body weight. For the epilepsy type stuff too. Yep. Yeah. So it's high. Have you heard of uh, future compounds? No, I haven't. So there are uh, a couple guys. I actually have a show coming out with them next week and they were really big in the cannabis space and grew a big following and consulted a lot of big um cannabis, you know, different, like, uh, whatever consulting they did with how to grow and all they were big into extractions. And so they switched over to the cannabis or the CBD space because they, they noticed that basically the higher dose is what was needed for most people. But to do that higher dose, everyone was like charging a fuck ton. So they really got into like their extraction process with CBD and it's like ultra purified. And what they do is they try to mimic a like full spectrum. So kind of like, it's kind of like a broad spectrum. They have a mm -hmm. three comp tincture. So it's like CBD, they have the CBG in there and the CBN. He told me on the show that he's even thinking like they're trying to go a little bit further and I'll add in like a Delta nine and something like that to kind of even mimic a more full spectrum. But what's cool about it is like they're ultra processing with the extractions you really can know that you're getting a clean product because I, you know, I did CBD for years, but then you start to hear like, oh, people are getting cadmium toxicity yep. and different things from the CBD. So I've been taking that and I think their tinctures are like 25,000 milligrams in the bottle for like, a, for like 120 bucks. That's 25,000. You sure it's not 2,500? 
No, it's 25,000. So they're basically revolutionizing, in my opinion, the CBD space from purity and a dosage standpoint and actually making it available for somebody to actually take yeah, I gotta 200 check that milligrams out, that's, a night. That's, I mean, I, I make my own bottles of CBD from Organic Camp, but mine are 3,500, <laughs> and that's one of the most like – the most potent bottle I've seen is like 5,000 milligrams, and those are rare. Most of them yeah, are around like 1,000 or so. 25,000, wow. I guess that makes sense, though. If you're going to want 300 migs – per dropper or something, mm-hmm. you know, that makes a lot of sense. I think as they grow, they're going to kind of take over. And especially if they can get that, that one that they add in like a Delta nine and stuff and make it more of like a full yeah. spectrum. Cause everyone knows full spectrum has benefits, but then also the purity is always the issue with getting, if you're already kind of sick, you're lowering inflammation, but then you're also ingesting more heavy metals that were in the environment from where the hemp was grown. But I'll send that over to you. Um, they're super cool, man. They got a really good heart. They're big into mycology and growing and extractions and they're cool as hell. So I think you get a kick out of that. I've been, they, he sent me a bottle because we were going to do the podcast and I've, I've just switched over to that. I love it. I think it's only like 120 bucks for 25,000. Yeah, that's, that's, that's insane. Yeah. And you mentioned the Delta nine. Like I, I personally, you ever tried Delta eight? Yeah, I had a guy, a guy who was like his family grew CBD that I knew from the cannabis space. Cause I used to grow cannabis back in Michigan mm-hmm. when I was up there. And, um, he, he, he gave me like a Delta eight pen one time and I was like, I'm kind of high. I used, oh, like, used to try, CBD. Yeah, yeah you should try. I mean, the, the, the or no, oral, the Delta nine is what it was. Oh, the Delta eight. I mean, I'm personally love Delta eight. I think it's much, much all the negative effects people associate with cannabis, paranoia, anxiety, racing, heart rate, um, really really non-existent with that and it's like you limit a lot of the negative effects so you feel a lot more of the beneficial effects um yeah i personally like i personally like the oil like the oral version of that you know very like i've never been like a wake and bake type of guy i just don't get anything done but like this is something i could do a low dose at the end of the day and actually still get work done instead of just being you know like drooling on the couch like a regular you know like a regular mm-hmm. delta nine brownie or some something you're just like out cold you know um but yeah cannabinoids are really really interesting um and they're coming out they're doing more research on like cbdv thcv you know there's so many more cannab even CBG doesn't have that much data out there, but I personally respond well to CBG. Um, and there's so many more out there that as we figure out which receptors, which cannabinoids bind better to, there are mutations in cannabinoid receptors that we can quantify. So I think custom personalized uh, cannabinoid blends based on genetics is absolutely a real possibility in the future. Yes, yeah, so you'll actually like this. That same company, they'll... They'll sell you like a tub of coconut oil and or you can just buy like literally the cannabinoids in packets like powder and then you can do the ratios specific to what wow. you feel is good for you. And because he said like, you know, if you have lime, like we talked about lime because I had lime or you have like, you know, one of these chronic conditions, you might want a much higher dose of CBN. So they'll sell you the powders. You can put that into a coconut oil, make the blends and the ratios that you want it, and then to kind of do it for yourself. Wow. And then if you want like one that's already done for you, you can just buy the three comp tincture or whatever like that. Fascinating. Interesting. Yeah, so it's really cool. I, I I've been on CBD forever. I I quit taking it for like a month or two after being on it for a few years, yeah. and then started again. And I was like, dude, I don't think I'm ever stopping this again. Yeah, I mean, I told you, I mean that that and she legit are two things I take every day. That I'm probably gonna continue to take, you know. And it's the dosages can vary, but I just feel good taking them. And it's not even like I feel like crap not taking them. It's just, you know, I'll I'll stop she legit for a couple of weeks, 
and then I'll go back on and I'm like, wow, I'm definitely more driven to do stuff, you know, and it's, um, you know, and then people that the anti supplement camp are like, you know, do you really need that? And it's like, you know, listen, you know, this is what I want out of my life. I want to be a high, highly productive person and it makes me feel better and it has these effects. And, you know, a lot of people and a lot of people ask me to, you know, um, after they work with me, am I going to be on these supplements the rest of my life? And I'm like, more or less, yeah, because if you think about it, your baseline, you're in a deficit. So why, if you supplement with something, if you stop supplementing with it, why would your body still stay up there? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I keep going, I always go back to the, to the hidden stressors because that was what my issue was. And I think people have a lot of it like low grade toxicity, but they're just not addressing it. They just didn't crash and burn like I did. And so the only way we can combat like mineral deficient soils and, you know, just all around toxicity is to supplement in my opinion. It, yeah. it sucks to say it, but that's how you got, that's how you got to combat the the modern world. I totally agree, man. And, you know, I firmly believe unless you're off the grid growing all your own food, self-sustaining, I think everyone across <clears throat> the board needs to be supplementing because again, the environment is outpacing our genetics and those that are getting the sickest now are the ones with the most faulty genes. But again, it's all about what's perceptible. That little headache you got, people think it's nothing, but that's neuroinflammation, you know? And like, what is causing that? You know, you getting headaches three times a week, that's not normal. It's not, you know, it, it seems innocuous and it's not a big deal, but something's making you more inflamed. And whether it's mutations in glutathione synthesis or vitamin D activation, um, or CoQ10 synthesis in the body, you know, we can figure out which mutations. Do you need more glutathione or CoQ10 or vitamin D? Or some people, it's all three, you know, and it's, um, it depends, you know, how much you're comfortable taking at once. Some people are like, you know, give me whatever, I don't care. Some people like doing one at a time, you know, to each his own, but I'm just here to give options, um, and educate people about this stuff because clearly the medical establishment does not care about educating. Like they don't even know, like one thing about CBD I didn't mention, CBD affects the metabolism of 80% of pharmaceutical medications. So I've worked with people that aren't feeling right and they're on a med uh, SSRI or something and they're taking CBD every day. That five milligrams of SSRI they're taking is really hitting their body like it's a seven or eight milligram tablet. So they're actually mm. getting – their their health ailments are due to overdosing on their medication because they're taking CBD twice a day. The doctor did not account – the doctors probably don't even know. You know how it says like uh, don't have a grapefruit juice on medications? Yeah. Like that's because it blocks the metabolism. What about not only CBD, so many supplements out there and herbs – block the metabolism of pharmaceutical medications. And not only do conventional medicine doctors not know this, but holistic practitioners don't know this. Um, and that's one of the things I really want to be more vocal about. And I'm actually gonna be launching some courses soon to educate people about this, especially practitioners, because if you're, so many people will come to me on supplements that are directly interacting with their medications they're on. And the holistic practitioner has no idea because, you know, I love having uh, supplements be easily accessible, but the more problems I see from other holistic practitioners, they mean well, of course, just a lack of education. I almost think that if you are a health practitioner making expert recommendations for people's supplements, I think you should be required to have to take some sort of certification course to know the major risks and interactions 
for supplements with people. I do think anyone, if you want, if you want to go to the store and order supplements, there shouldn't be any restrictions. You know, I do think they should be really accessible, but if I'm making an expert decision for you, I should have to be educated before I can professionally recommend that to somebody else. Yeah, that makes total sense. I heard you give a like a brief kind of example on another podcast about like someone taking iron supplements, but then also taking the curcumin that yeah. chelates the iron. So it's like, it's so counterintuitive. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, too, for someone like you, hemochromatosis, curcumin could be the perfect thing for you. A, it'll help your inflammation, but B, it's going to help lower your iron. But someone that's anemic, genetically low iron, or maybe iron due to lifestyle habits or whatever, that can make their hair fall out. They're getting these crazy iron infusions every week, <clears throat> dumping all this money. And I'm like, get off the curcumin. They don't need the iron infusion anymore. They don't have to eat five pounds of beef liver a week. They just eat their normal red meat and their iron levels go up because now they're off this curcumin that they've been on for like nine years. Some people are on these same things. Yeah, it's like they all you hear is inflammation, inflammation. It's supposed to be good. Mix it with some black pepper. I was on that yeah. kick for a while, but honestly, it probably was doing me some favors because yeah. of the hemochromatosis. But um, for you know someone who's already got low iron or who's anemic, you know, it's it's going to be a disaster. Absolutely. Cool. Let's dive in for the last little bit of this show about. Um, more so like your pra practice specifically. I just wanted to pick your brain about some sure. molecules leading up. But I know like, you know, basically I've been in genetics for a while too. Um, I got them done probably like five, six years ago, did an ancestry and then um, did the Rhonda Patrick thing in the very beginning, which was like kind of hard to read if you weren't like yeah. deep in the weeds. Like I got a little bit out of it, but I was like, this is a lot of fucking information for someone who doesn't really know much mm -hmm. about genetics. So then I had them read by a couple different um, geneticists over time and really learned a little bit about my genetics. Why do you use self-decode and is like, you know, why is that so much more advanced than like someone just reading out your genetics? Yeah. So most of the companies out there, they just give you a big list of individual mutations. Um, now the problem with that is, is that all genes interact with each other. So self-decode has artificial intelligence that will take hundreds of thousands of individual mutations into account and figure out your overall risk score for things. So they'll say you have a higher need for vitamin B2 based on like 400,000 different mutations. And since they're taking so many mutations into account, some mutations can synergize with each other. Other ones can counteract each other. So it takes all, does all that math for you to spit out overall risk scores for things. Um, so I love using that because it's so much more accurate. It's called polygenic risk scoring. Poly meaning multiple, gen gen genic meaning genes. So rather than just getting a whole list of, oh, I have these mutations in these genes, they assemble them into a pathway analysis and which pathways cumulatively, the interactum of different types of genes that are interacting with each other. Um, like you mentioned a lot of mineral stuff, like you can have mutations in how well you absorb minerals, whether it's in your gut or inside of other cells throughout your body. Um, but like, for example, zinc and copper compete for absorption. So if you have a mutation that lets you, that means you absorb, you don't absorb zinc quite as well. That will mean you absorb higher amounts of copper because you're not absorbing as much zinc. But then on top of that, you could have another mutation that makes you absorb excess copper. So it's like a double whammy there. So these things can piggyback on top of each other. Um, I also like self-decode because you can upload blood work there and it customizes the normal ranges based on your DNA. 
So like the normal range for vitamin D is like 30 to 100. It'll adjust that range. So based on your DNA, what looks normal may actually be high or may actually be low. Wow, I didn't realize that they were actually cross-referencing there with the blood work and in yeah. different panels like that. Yeah, I have all my clients get uh, a year, and they also have a cool like uh, HIPAA compliant uh, chat messaging thing. So I DM my uh, patients. Um, we sh- we can share documents there. It's HIPAA compliant, totally encrypted. You know, privacy is one of their top concerns. And I have everyone. It's like eighty four dollars for the year with my code to upload data and get that. And you upload your blood work. It'll have data points over time to track you and see where your normal ranges are at for these things. But the fact that it could take hundreds of thousands, sometimes over a million mutations to account and say, for example, when they say more likely to be anemic or low ferritin, that is all, not always, but virtually always spot on accurate because it takes that many genes into account. You look at another report that says you have a higher need for iron. I could find another gene that says you have a lower need for iron. So the AI sorts all of that out. And of course, nothing's perfect yet because we're only using what information we currently have. But based on this, a lot of the blood markers especially are super, super spot on. But I take those reports. There's over 200 reports. And not all of them are as informative as you think. Some of them don't have that many actionable tips you could do. I take all of them, compile things and give you an overview report of like the highlight reel. What are the most important mutations given your health issues that we can do something about? Like if they have a they have a more likely for cognitive decline report and they'll say you want to exercise, limit stress and eat healthy. It's like, well no shit. You know what I mean? Like that's not really any <laughs> li- that's not really any life-changing advice, but some of the other reports they have have clear mechanisms. They may suggest one supplement But I'll come, I'll take that, and I'll give you like six supplement recommendations, and I'll be able to find individual supplements that, like CBD, for example. CBD can address several mutations for one person. So rather than having you take a curcumin for your inflammation mutation, uh, you know, something something else for a probiotic for your BDNF mutation, um, and CBD for something else, CBD covers all those bases. So I also like finding, you know, kill three birds with one stone because I'm still, even though I'm a big fan of supplements, I'm a big fan of the lowest effective dose and the lowest amount of overall supplements. I take the least amount of supplements I've taken in years now and I feel the best I've felt because I've slowly figured out what individual supplements cover the most bases for me. So I take that as a framework, but I also layer a lot of my own expertise and add a lot of gene mutations that they don't cover in their reports because all the data we ever want is already in there, but it's all about the interpretation. How do you view these things? Um, I could connect some dots and say this amino acid that's normally used for this ailment could help here when no one's looked at it that way because I'm looking at the pathway analysis. You know, what does this amino acid get turned into into the body? It helps create this protein, which you're genetically low in. We better make sure you have enough of that so you can keep making that and try to counteract that mutation. That's super interesting. So basically, you could never look through all of these gene snips like just by yourself. You basically oh, need the never. AI software. Self, so, I mean, self-decode, they get about 100 million mutations. So their uh, AI, I think mm. 23andMe has around 47,000 mutations. The AI will turn that into 100 million mutations. Now, again, we don't know what a lot of them do quite yet. But just the sheer numbers game of taking multiple genes in a, into account, 
utilizing this software, no one else is doing that to this capability. Some people are doing, you know, 10 genes for a polygenic risk report, but we're talking tens of hundreds, even over a million mutations for one given risk or disease. Um, that's why I decided to work with them. That and the fact that their business model does not rely on selling data. Like 23andMe and Ancestry DNA, their fundamental business structure is to sell data anonymously, but I still understand why that rubs people the wrong way. Um, they don't need to do that. They make their money other ways. So your data is never being sold. Um, I never got 23. I never, sorry, I never got sequenced through self-decode. I did my 23andMe and put it up there. So you can upload, like the Ancestry, you know, we can just upload that there. You don't need to get a new DNA kit. The real magic is in the AI and then the expert interpretation of that. Because like you said, the found my fitness run to Patrick, that's very basic compared to the self-decode stuff, you know? But my job is to take all the guesswork out and instill this into you because, again, there's only so many supplements you could take. You know, I don't – I'm not going to put people on 40 supplements. That's insane. Um, but what are the most important ones and which ones can address multiple mutations at once? So the least amount of supplements to address the most – the highest number of the most impactful mutations to your cellular health. Yeah, that's – see, like I feel like a lot of people in genetics aren't – Maybe they just don't have the PhD and they can't connect the dots as much. It's the but PhD it in pharmacology like for sure, you know, and it's because I don't, I thoroughly research and understand all the things a given molecule does. There's no such drug, vitamin, or supplement that does one thing in the body. So why are they saying that curcumin? It's not just an anti-inflammatory. It does a lot of other things in the body, and you need to cross-reference to make sure that you're not doing more harm than good. And that's definitely due to literally six years of my life, literally just learning how things affect human cells. Yeah, that makes total sense. How much does it cost for someone to run like a self-decode and work with you? So the DNA kit itself, it's like uh, to order the kit, I think it's 170 to get um, the DNA kit and then the one year of the membership. And then, um, so I take several hours to take those reports and then compile them. So that takes me several hours. And then we have a one-on-one -on -one call. Um, you get all of the um, notes that we go through. You get three weeks of direct messaging uh, back and forth while you're getting onboarded with the stuff. Because, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, my God, my anxiety is way better. But now I'm nauseous in the morning. So little stuff like that. Like I might say, hey, let's pull this out for a bit just to get you off to a smooth start. Um, and that's $14.97. So, um, yeah, that covers my time for compiling the reports, the one-hour consult, the three weeks of support after that. But I definitely plan on the future doing a lot more um, educational type stuff. You know, right now all I've been doing are the one-on-ones, but I do want to branch out, um, do some community type stuff. You know, where we go once a week live, just ask me questions, this and that. Um, you know, without a doubt in my mind. The value is definitely there for that package, but I also realize that may not be feasible for people um, at their given moment. So I also offer payment plans if you do need to order DNA kit. The results take a month or so to come in. Um, but yeah, I mean, without a doubt in my mind, I mean, I'm just getting started with this stuff. It's only been not even a year. I've been doing this on the side, you know, using my own crude workflow for years now. So like I just started doing this. It's been five, six years of this, but officially using the self-decode platform for not even a year now. Um, I've seen well over 200 clients. 
um, since. And yeah, just really excited to see what the future holds because without a doubt, um, right now I'm doing it kind of like a standalone, like see how I could optimize it. But down the road, as just more collaborations. Again, doing this as a first stop, then you go to the mold person, then you go to therapy, then you try some pharmaceuticals for your Alzheimer's. I think we'll, without a doubt, produce such better effects across the board, across all these sectors. Because again, we are all born with genetic weak points in our cells. And figuring out what the major ones are and correcting them first just makes so much sense to me starting out. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it sounds like, you know, you're even doing a little bit more, obviously, like cross-referencing the blood work. Also, I heard you touch a little bit on like food sensitivity. Are you getting people to try to do food sensitivity testing so that they can cut out some of those foods? Yeah. So I'm personally a big believer in the food allergy side. A lot of the food sensitivity tests, IgG testing, are actually heavily influenced by how often you eat the foods. I recommend the number one health tip I have for anyone is get food allergy testing, skin prick testing. Um, a food allergy is an entire immune system issue. Um, a food sensitivity is a digestive gut issue, which can disappear over time. Um, so it may turn up nothing, um, but we can see based on the genetic reports, if you're more prone to food allergies, like I said, I eat peas and almonds and was around mice and they made me so foggy all the time. And the day I removed those foods was the best day I had in a very long time, like instant improvements. Now, not everyone has these food allergies, but um, go to a local specialist, usually covered by insurance. And regarding the food stuff, I don't do full meal plans, but I focus on which types of foods you may be more genetic risk to, whether it's high histamine or oxalates or lectins, all these things a lot of gut health practitioners are talking about, except I can remove the guesswork and tell you, you know, it's never going to be 100% accurate, but it is highly accurate. I think the oxalate report takes 82,000 genes into account um, to give you your overall risk score. Um, so it can remove a lot of that guesswork. Oh, let's try limiting this for two months. Then try this, then try that. Imagine just starting with the thing that's causing the issue. You can get a lot better, a lot quicker. And I've, uh, oh yeah. And overall removing that guesswork, you know, you're, you're saving so much time and money doing the guesswork, but also like most of my clients are like, I have four grand of supplements in my pantry. I have no idea what's doing what. I'm like, yeah, well, you could have paid me a fraction of that a while ago. And, you know, you figure out what list of things make the most sense for you personally. Yeah, that makes total sense. And for the testing, are you just like going to a doctor? Is there something people can order at home? Yeah, no. So you order right to your door. It comes very quickly. A quick DNA spit test. Um, you get the tube, register the code um, and send it back. Um, they're going to have a cheek swab option too, because some people, you know, whether I've had some clients that are autistic or very young and can't get that saliva out. So the cheek swab will be coming out soon. Um, but yeah, no actual, uh, like you don't have to go to the actual doctor's office. You literally go to the self-decode thing. Um, I have a code, Dr. Pans, D-R-P-A-N-Z. Um, you save $30 off that initial package there. Um, and there is a high end, higher end package that has a consult, but Trying to get a word this. I'm a practitioner for self-decode, but I'm not hired as one of their doctors, if that makes sense. So like I'm fully independent, but use their platform. So if anyone does want to work with me, you want to get that lower end package, unless you want ancestry, there's a mid-tier one. But that top end package, I'm not one of the available practitioners um, for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I'm really excited to see with where they go with this. Um, you know, I talked to them a lot about little, 
tricks and little stuff to be adding and stuff because I love wrapping my head around all <laughs> this. And you'd be surprised that the reports are meant for non-scientists. Like it's a lot of smiley faces and colors and people can learn a lot through their genes without working with me with the one-on-one. It's just to be able to figure out, to take all this information, figure out what's the best versus the worst, what the contraindications are. Self-decode does not have the contraindications for supplements. That's something that kind of I've learned on my own. So they might recommend a, a supplement for a certain mutation, which makes sense. They're not taking into account that other mutation that may make it a net negative for you. So that's why I'm calling what I do now hyper-personalized medicine. Um, it's not just personalized, it's hyper-personalized, not just what works for you, what doesn't work for you. That's absolutely amazing, man. I see you growing your like Instagram account, posting videos on there. What what else is in the future? Or are you just solely focused on this? Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm definitely going to be, I've been working on for the past several months now, um, a 12-week coaching program where I'm teaching live lectures each week. Um Hold on, said I'm automatically leaving. Here I am. Um, so I'm teaching hmm. live lectures every week, doing Q and A's with discussion, and I really want to try to um, educate um, people how to have this approach towards health and medicine and supplementation. So um, I'm definitely going to be posting a lot more. Um, I've been working on this course, and I kind of didn't realize how much stuff I've learned over the years to kind of break this down because it's dense stuff at the end of the day. But being able to package that up properly for people because you don't need to do everything that I'm doing in my deep dives to feel better. Um, if I can teach people, um, interact with more people and give them some tips and they can connect some dots and make themselves feel better without having to do the whole one-on-one, that's awesome because it's about trying to help as many people as possible. And I can't just do one-on-one for everyone in the world. You know, there's going to have to be a more scalable way to get information out there better. So I'm um, going to be starting an email newsletter soon, um, a, a community type thing where you can just ask questions. I'm going to have those courses coming out as well. Um, and yeah, really just trying to get my message out there. I genuinely think this is going to revolutionize not just the holistic space. I'm mailing the holistic space right now. But utilizing this in conventional medicine as well and trying to address some of these major deficiencies first. Again, if someone could instantly feel 20% better before going on a pharmaceutical depression drug, um, why not try that? Even though I do routinely get people off of these drugs because I think 95% of people on these anxiety depression drugs have no reason being on them. It's just a Band-Aid fix for an underlying issue that through the genetics can really shed a lot of light on that and kind of be like, oh, wow, boom, there's the major issue. We need to support that. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I think you definitely have like done a lot of research. You have a lot of bandwidth that you can condense down into more like bite-sized style pieces that people can actually digest. So I love your work. We'll keep it up. And then as you keep growing and going, maybe we'll have to jump on another show, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really hope uh, everyone learned something today. And one last thing is even if you're happy with where your health's at, everyone knows somebody that isn't happy with where their health's at. Everyone has that sick friend, whether it's mentally or physically, that is just constantly sick over and over and over again. Um, You know, if they're trying to do holistic remedies for these things, Please tell them to reach out. Um, So many people that are constantly sick over and over and over again, yet they're in the same environment as other people. 
that just indicates a heavy genetic influence. And those are the exact types of people that get these miraculous improvements. So keep that in mind. I hope everyone learned something. And thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. And uh, just for to end it off, I forgot to add, uh, make sure you tell everybody where they can find your website, find you on social media, all that stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm at Dr. Tyler Pansner, D-R-T-Y-L-E-R-P-A-N-Z-N-E-R. I'm just Dr. Tyler Panzer on Facebook and then Instagram, TikTok, Tyler Panzer PhD on LinkedIn. And then my website is www.drtylerpanzer.com. No dot after the doctor like the uh, Instagram tags. Cool, brother. Keep up the good work. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.